Let's turn to God's Word tonight. Um, if you have your Bibles, it's Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to begin reading a verse 1 through to 4. Then we'll go down to verse 41 through to 47. And uh, just over these weeks, just really an introduction tonight, the four pillars of the Christian faith. And uh, we'll, we're going to look over, over, over these pillars over the next four or five weeks. But tonight, just an introduction to uh, this series that we're going to look at. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1, let's just pray together. Amen. Father, we just ask as we open your word, Lord, that you would anoint it. And Lord, that you would speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. And you would encourage us through thy word. And Lord, you build the church. Lord, you said you would build it and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, Lord. So we ask for your help tonight. Give us ears to hear, anoint us to preach and glorify your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And just over in the verse 41, verse 41, just of Acts chapter 2. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We know the Lord has blessed the reading of his word tonight. We read uh, these few verses here tonight, and we just cry, Lord, do it again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. And what and how the church began we believe and know that that's how the church will finish in the power of the Holy Spirit. From verse 14, if you look down just in the chapter 2 here, we see the first message sermon that has been that was preached at the beginning of this church age, preached by the apostle Peter. And from verse 14, we'll not read it tonight, but right through to verse 36, it records his words. In Scripture, the words that Peter preached that day under the unction and the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you get down just in the verse, uh, right up until verse 38, 39 there, we see in, as they responded to the message that was preached that day, uh, asking Peter, what shall we do? Peter said in verse 38, and this is the response to the gospel. This is a key word in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter said, repent. 
That is a word that slowly is being removed from the gospel today. Everything of what you are, you turn away from. And everything of what he is, you embrace. That's repentance. Turn away from sin. Everything of who we are, but everything of who he is, we embrace him. And so Peter, in their response to the message that he preached, uh, the message was, that message recorded was about three minutes long. Uh, and if you just record it out, and there's 3,000 souls are swept into the kingdom how we need the power of the Holy Ghost, how we need the Holy Spirit to move again. Of course, it goes on to say there, Acts 2.38, as they responded, and then we just come up to verse 40, it says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then in verse 41, as the Holy Ghost moved that day, verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Lord, do it again. It's the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus. How we need the Holy Spirit. When you read these few verses in their simplicity, and the record that is there for everyone to read, we just see the reality and the awesome power and the convicting power of the Holy Ghost when God moves and how we need that again, how we need God, the Holy Spirit, to move again and convicting and add unto the church daily. It says daily, daily, such as should be saved. Only God can add to the church we know that verse, he gives the increase. Only God can give the increase, but he added to the church daily such as should be saved. Brothers and sisters, wouldn't it be wonderful to be in a day when daily, daily God was adding to his church, not just the church here, but his church daily across this land again, souls being born, truly born, truly delivered, truly set free and added to the church of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And you know what's happening across the world today in many parts. We're hearing great reports coming in from across Asia and the China. We can hear what God is doing miraculously. But our cry is, God, would you do it again? Amen. We just trust the Lord that he would be able to do it again. Amen. It says in verse 42, and this is really, what do you do with 3,000 souls? Uh, what do you do with 3,000 souls that are added to the church? What we, do we do with one soul that's added to the church of Jesus Christ? Well, in verse 42 here, it says, And they, and the they are the 120 that was in the upper room, and also the 3,000 that were just added to the church that day. So there was 3,120 souls at least that were added to the church, and then it refers to them that this is then what took place. And they, and they, verse 42, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now these, these are the four pillars that we'll look at over the next uh, four to five weeks. They, the early church, with its influx of new converts, needed to grow. They needed to be established. They needed to be grounded. They needed to grow spiritually. And he, the, here are the principles under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled men 
and women established a pattern, I believe led by the Holy Spirit, that would establish, grow, and strengthen this early church. And so it's important tonight that we look at the pattern in Scripture and we follow the pattern in Scripture rather than the ideas of men. How would that early church be established and function and grow numerically and also spiritually out of the whole mess of religion and oppression and death of that time? A building would be erected, not physical, but spiritual. The called out ones, that is what the church is. Those that have been called out, that's the church. They would make up this building and they would furnish the building and this would become a habitation of God by the Holy Spirit, that out of all that death and that darkness and that religious system, out of that political system, out of that military system, the empire that was there at that time, something wonderful would, by the grace of God, would be birthed and built and be a trophy of God's grace through the lives that would be saved. This was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, if you turn over at the chapter 28 and verse 16, that there was a day coming that there would be a building, but this building wouldn't be physical as they had understood it to be in the Old Testament. This would be a building that was spiritual. It was going to be made up of people, and they were spiritually born, and they would, they would make up that building, and God the Holy Spirit would furnish it with his presence. And that is what the church is. That is what the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it meets in the world, from every tribe and every tongue, whether it's two or three in his name, as we heard prayed tonight, or whether it's two or three hundred or two or three thousand, wherever they meet in the name of Jesus, born of the Spirit of God, Isaiah the prophet prophesied in Isaiah 28 and 16, says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. Most important thing about any building, anybody want to guess what it is? The foundation. So for there to be pillars, there have to be built in something. Something has to be there, a sure foundation. Well, thank God we're built not on man, built on tradition, or built on the things of this world. We're built on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter, if you turn over, just remember in Isaiah 28 there what we just read. But 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it tells us there about this building that we're a part of. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. And this is the building that we have made up and we are a part of. And that foundation is Jesus, him being that chief cornerstone. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. To whom coming? As unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The foundation being Christ, the lively stones are those that are born of the Spirit, that have been washed in the blood, and they're brought into the kingdom of God. They're part of the church of Jesus Christ. And here we are a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said these words, Thou art Peter, speaking to Peter the apostle, and said, But upon this rock I build my church. So Jesus is involved in building his church right to this day. 
And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No matter the age in which we live in, no matter the darkness and the mess that's all around us, God's purpose is to birth and to build his church in the midst of it all. He's building his church. He's building, as we sing, a people of power and a people of praise. Out of all the mess, out of all all the, all the sin, out of all the wickedness all across this land and across this island and across this world where people gather in the name of Jesus. It's a spiritual building and Jesus has promised us that it'd be there by his spirit. It's a habitation of God. Spiritually, we gather together as a spiritual house and this is the mystery that has been hidden God before even the ages that he would birth a spiritual house. So we meet tonight, not just a wee gathering on a Wednesday night. Yes, we're we in number, but this is a spiritual house. We're living stones. We're built on a foundation out of all the mess as the lights are on in this house. But greater than that, we are the light of the world on Main Street, Balnehens tonight. It's a testimony to the whole world around us that's broken and ruined, that out of all of this, the trophies of his grace are evident in this room tonight. The mercy of God that he's redeemed us, that he's brought us out, and we're to be that salt and that light in a broken and a dark world. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you turn over, just following the the, the foundation for a moment, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19 says, Now therefore... Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. What a what what a scripture! If we understand what we're seeing here, unfortunately, I believe there's a traditional view of church, and then there's a biblical view of church. Traditional is it's the spire, it's the building, it's the it's all the stuff of what man can achieve or how he can make it look. Biblically, this is what it is. And whether it's in a shack in the middle of Asia, whether it's in a shack in the middle of Africa, or whether it's in a fine building in the Western world, if the focus and the whole center of that is Jesus Christ, him being the chief cornerstone, it tells us here that this is a building that he has built and he has fitly framed that building together. His desire is that it would grow into a holy temple in the Lord. This is spiritual now. This isn't physical. We thank God for the facilities that he may grant unto us. That's not the church, okay? I know that we. it's hard to get that out of our, of our conversation. I'm going to church. We can't go to church because we are the church. But I know that's part of what our tradition is. But if by the Holy Spirit, our view on what the church actually is, what the function of that, that we, you are the church of Jesus Christ. So when we come together, it's not that I'm going to the meeting. It's that we're coming together as a spiritual house, 
and the purpose of that gathering. Listen, this is what it is. We're building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Think about it. It should change our focus on what we think church is or what it's about. This is a habitation of God through the Holy Ghost. That's what that first church was. In that upper room, they became a habitation when the Holy Spirit fell and 120 people. I know I've said it many times. The first thing that the Holy Spirit did in that upper room, it filled the house. Then it filled everybody that was in it. It became a habitation, a place where God would abide on this earth. A brother Clinton used to say, we have given God an address tonight. That is where the twos or threes are gathered in his name. There he is. This is where God is tonight. God Almighty, who created all the universe by us coming together in the name of Jesus tonight. We are a habitation of Almighty. May God help us to see it to get the revelation of it. We are a habitation. And every lively stone, that's everyone who's saved, is a critical part of that gathering together as that habitation of God. They're crucial as a living stone. You remember when Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives and and all the people were crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And the Pharisees said, please don't tell, please tell your disciples not to say that because it was offending them. And he says, "If, if they don't, If they don't praise me, what did he say? These very rocks are going to praise me. They're going to cry out. Now, who are those rocks? Who are those living stones? It's us. And we're here to praise him. What does it say? That he inhabits what? The praises of his people. So when we come to the house of God, and I know it's against tradition, and even sometimes it's against how we may feel, but we're here to praise the Lord. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. Why? This is a habitation of God. And God, the Holy Spirit, wants to come down and be amongst us. Touch our lives. Fill our lives. Encourage us. Give us oil in our lamps. Touch us in the, in the midst of all of our needs. He knows all about our problems and all our needs. And we need God, the Holy Spirit, to move in our midst. And so the cry is that we're built on that foundation, which is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. This whole building is framed together by him, and we're here to grow into a holy temple in the Lord, a spiritual temple in the Lord, in whom also we're building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians, if you turn over, chapter 3 and verse 10. So we're building, but we need to know how to build. It's not just a case of, I'll just throw this together, but we need, there is a pattern, there is a way, there is, a, there is an order in which God builds. So 1 Corinthians 3 and 10, Paul writes, saying, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. So the foundation is Jesus. And so now we're going to build on the foundation. But then he says, but let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is led, which is Jesus Christ. So we know the foundation is Jesus, but how are we going to build? How are we going to build? Is it just any old way? Is it just a case that we just try our best or do whatever? There's a pattern. The reason why we have the pattern of the New Testament, the book of Acts that instruct us in the early church and how they met, how they functioned, and the pattern was there. Then the epistles, as Paul then is bringing correction 
and rebuke at times and encouragement about how the church is to function. We know he had the rebuke in the Corinthian model and he had to deal with issues in that. And we know there's great encouragement in that as well. But it was to build wisely. It was in order that there would be a spiritual house, not a carnal house, but a spiritual house to the glory of Jesus Christ. They gave constant attention to something in this building. They were wise. They, they took heed in the early church. They were spirit-led. This is a spirit-led church. This is a spirit-filled church. The early church we read in Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So we're going to see the outworking of spirit-filled, spirit-led people. This was a church that was in obedience to the Word of God. You know, it's, it's contrary today. And I know it's popular for people to say, I'm spirit-filled, but not live according to God's Word. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then we're going to, and we're not perfect, but we're going to live by God's word. It's not, it's not, would that be reasonable to say? That, that would be reasonable to say. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, if you're spirit filled, then you would desire to live by God's word. Isn't that our desire? I know none of us are perfect. We're trusting in the merits of Jesus. I'm talking about the outworking of a sanctified life. If we're spirit-filled and being led of the Spirit, the Spirit of God's never going to lead us in doing anything that's contrary to God's Word. So it's important that when we hear with a small s, the Spirit is leading me, it always must be subject to and it all must be judged by God's word. That's the supreme authority in all things. God's holy word. Isn't that, you all agree with that? I know we're in a day where it's very much the spirit is saying or the spirit is leading. Well, brothers and sisters, it always has to be tested and judged by God's word. So here's a spirit-led church. And the spirit-led church was to obey the word and the instruction of God. This is the outworking of that life. So it says in Acts 2.42, if you go back there, just in that verse, we're establishing it was they, the 3,000 that were saved, the 120 that were in the upper room. And now we're looking at spirit-filled lives. A foundation has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. And now it says, and they. So verse 41 says, then they that gladly received. Verse 42 says, and they. So it's speaking about the same people. It's not separate people. And they. And then it says, these words continued steadfastly in. Those three words continued steadfastly in. This is what this early church gave themselves to. This is what they were diligent in. This is what they were completely set upon. This is what they were strong in. This is what they continued steadfastly in. Now that, those three words are basically uh, one Greek word, and it means to be earnest toward, to persevere, to be constantly diligent, to attend to in all exercises, to adhere closely to. There's two words there. One is, is talking about the direction on which you're going. And the second one, it means in other words, you were strong in this particular direction. And the second part of that is that they were steadfast, as we say, continually steadfast. They were strong in these things. This is what they were strong in. This is what they gave themselves to. You'll note here, it requires 
absolutely no qualifications in an intellectual level, in an educational level. It requires none of those things. It was simply something from the heart that these people instructed, I believe, by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, this is what's going to make a church strong. This is what's going to make you as an individual strong. You put these practices, these principles into your life as a Christian, then this is what's going to make you strong. This is what's going to cause you to grow as a believer. And so they were strong in this one area. The Amplified says they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to these four pillars. And I believe these principles, wherever they're applied throughout the world, it's universal. If people apply these principles into their life, first of all, and then coming together as God's people, assembling themselves together, then I believe a church becomes strong. And I believe a church grows, just not numerically, but uh, spiritually as well. And these are things in the early days. You know, I was, we were brought up, my parents brought us up, bringing us to the house of God. They put the principles of these things into us. I thank God they did. Because even though as a young boy and I backslid and went into the world, and, but these principles that were put into me as a young boy are the principles by which I still live by today. But because they were biblical principles, there were something that was Buddhist. There was something that was part of, if you like, your DNA. It's who, it's who you are. And I know in a day of non-commitment, do whatever you please and everything else, these are biblical principles. They're God's principles. They're spirit-filled principles. So we see here that they continued, the Amplified says, continually and faithfully devoting themselves to these four pillars. This is what they were of all the qualities, talents, and giftings, one of the most significant characteristics that should be in our lives. And what I believe God looks for in a man or a woman is faithfulness. Is faithfulness. There might be other things that people may say, but I believe that God looks... Why does God look for faithfulness? That word simply means to be loyal or staunch or steadfast. It means to be firm in one's allegiance to something or someone. Faithful suggests that one has a firm and constant allegiance that is based on or as if on a pledge. Always be faithful to your duty. Why would we want to be faithful? Does anyone want to guess? Why would we want to be faithful? Because we want to be like Jesus. That's why. It's not a church creed. It's not a church statement of faith. Is Jesus faithful? Is, is God faithful? Then we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like God. We want to be like him. What is he? Thank God he's faithful. Has he ever failed us? Ever failed us? Has he ever let us down? He's faithful. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9 says God is faithful. He is faithful. That is one of the great attributes of God that we can hold on to in every trial of our lives and every valley that we can go through and every 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 difficult time that we would go in, every season that's difficult, every every circumstance, we know these this one great truth. God is faithful. He's faithful, friend. He'll never fail us. And he's proved himself throughout every generation right through this whole book to the beginning of time. 
God's faithful. So I want to be like Jesus. Do you? So we want to be faithful. The Bible says this attribute, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, this is what they were, continually steadfast. They were faithful in. And 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 says these words, Moreover, it is required in stewards, servants of God, that a man be found, what does it say? Faithful. Just faithful. He's faithful to his God. He's faithful to the things of God. He's faithful. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6 says, Proverbs 20 and verse 6, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? A faithful man. Proverbs 28 and verse 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. God blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. When there's a man or a woman or a young boy, a young girl found faithful to God and faithful to his work and faithful to the things of God, then God blesses faithfulness. And I encourage you, saints, this is the pattern that God has set in his word, faithfulness. In the work of God, uh, 2 Timothy, if you turn over in the 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 through to 4, it says these words, 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men. God's looking faithful people for the work of God. Faithful people. People that are faithful to God first and faithful to the things of God. Commit the work to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man warreth that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. He's chosen us to be soldiers, to endure hardness, to be faithful in these days. In Galatians 2 and 9 it tells us there of James, Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars. Pillars. What does a pillar do? It holds it up. We have pillars, I'm sure, somewhere down these walls holding up those beams. And if those pillars are taken away or those beams are removed, the roof's coming in. They hold things up. They hold things up. Faithfulness is critical. In military law, Paul's referring here to a soldier. But in military law... Uh, this is what it tells me anyway. A military service member who fails to report for duty often faces serious charges. There are three related offences that fall under this category. Absence without leave. You ever heard AWOL? He's going AWOL. Absence without leave, desertion, and missing movement all carry very serious penalties, up to and including the death penalty for desertion during war. Being AWOL for 30 days is considered desertion, while missing movement, that is if you miss the boat. You don't miss the boat or you miss the flight. You know, I'm sure if Joe was here being in the Navy or whatever, he'd be able to tell us about what happened to the Navy or that, you know, that this maybe overstayed when they got to the nice port. But it tells us, that while missing movement is charged with a service member missing the movement of a ship or an aircraft intentionally or out of neglect. This is, this is an earthly thing. What about the greatest cause in the whole world? The cause of Christ, the cause of the gospel. 
What about the greatest cause that any man or woman can give themselves to? The birth of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and its establishment and growth is recorded for us to know there's a pattern and it's God's pattern. These pillars are are to be anchored and built upon a sure foundation and that is Jesus Christ. Now we're going to look at four pillars over these weeks. And the number four, I'm not necessarily a big one for what the numbers mean, but for some reason I was drawn to find out what the number four means. Four speaks of completion. That's what four. So you just can't have three or two. You've got to have four. Four is the number of sides of a square. I'm just reading this from a commentary. It tells us there are four rivers flowing out of the Garden of Eden, four corners of the earth, from whence blow four winds. In the vision of the glory of God, Ezekiel saw four living creatures. And with these, we may compare the four living creatures of Revelation 4. It is the number of material completeness. Hence, it is the world number and especially the city number. And the fourth day, the material creation was finished. After that, the earth was furnished. So it was finished materially and then it was furnished. So you see, when God's desire is to furnish his church, it's putting the principles that we're about to look at over these weeks, these four pillars, when they're in place, then the furnishing by the Holy Spirit takes place in a life individually and then in a church collectively. How we want the Holy Spirit to furnish the local assemblies across this land, to furnish it with the Holy Spirit, but put the pattern in place, put the principles in your life, put these things right at the very basis of your being. It tells us that the sun, the moon, the stars were were completed the work and they were to give light upon the earth which had been created and to rule over the day and over the night. Four is the number of the great elements, earth, air, fire, water. Four are the regions of the earth, uh, north, south, East and west, never eat shredded wheat. That's how you remember it, in case you forget. Four are the divisions of the day, morning, noon, evening, and midnight. Or in the Lord's words, when he speaks of his coming at evening, midnight, cock crowing, or in the morning. Four are the seasons of the year, spring, summer, autumn, winter. Four is symbolic of completeness. And we want to be complete in Christ. We want to build on a good foundation. That's Jesus. We want our lives to be perfected by the Holy Spirit. We have a responsibility, brothers and sisters, in that. We each have a responsibility to apply ourselves to the pattern. It requires discipline, but we're soldiers. And the greatest army isn't the United States Army or the Russian Army or the China, the greatest army on this earth, we're part of it. It's God's got an army. And you put the principles of what we're going to look at. Four pillars, they dedicated themselves. They were faithful to. This caused the church, the early church, to be strong individually and collectively. And this will cause us to be strong individually and collectively as we are approaching the finale of it all, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But friends, it's not just attending meetings, but it's to understand that this is a habitation of God. 
And when we put the pillars in place on the foundation, he furnishes the house with his presence. Put the principles in place. They'll stand by you. God will bless you. Be faithful. Continue steadfastly in these things. And brothers and sisters, I believe there's growth. And God will add to the church daily such as should be saved. We'll look at these four pillars. Apply them to our lives. It won't stand with three. We need to put the four in. When we put the four in, God the Holy Spirit will bless us and will prosper as we walk in God's way and will please him who has called us to this day. Let's put these pillars in place. You know, it was 13 years ago that I last preached this message. Um, it was the first month, I think, when we started in the market house, first month or two, that there's a wee bit more meat in the bones now. But it was 13 years ago that I believe that's the principles on which we, we build. 13 years later, I can tell you, friends, I believe that these are still the principles that we build because they're not Tim McElrath's principles. They're God's principles. And so we want to put these in our lives, put the pillars in, and we'll look at them individually over the next few weeks. But praise God, we've got a good foundation. And that's Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together tonight.